Hello and welcome to the Niche Guarda YouTube podcast series powered by citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org, uh, our organizations that are trying to create new solutions in this kind of fast-growing world of Web 3.0, blockchain, metaverse, AI, and fourth industrial revolution. Again, we are here to talk especially about people, about how we can change the world, and especially projects that are inspiring and actually taking us to new directions in terms of uh, innovation, uh, technological uh, disruption, and as well, I would say, empowerment, but as well, especially how these new technologies can make, um, I would say, direction for good or technology for good and as well social impact. And that's where we've been discussing that. We passed actually the 200 interviews. And I'm very excited to welcome to our series um, uh, someone that actually I've been studying. I was quite curious as well to see the project. So um, uh, we have Chris Cummings, uh, that is uh, the, the leader and the CEO of Iconic Moments. And um, uh, he has a fantastic background uh, that you're going to be talking during the interview. But uh, Iconic Moments is particularly interesting as a, a very unique marketplace uh, for NFTs and probably the world first NFT marketplace and blockchain exclusively focused on museums and historical institutions. And that, I think this is one of the areas that are critical uh, because if you look at this before the NFT revolution, the art world was actually smaller than actually all the NFT world right now. But of course, if you look at the museums, it's the most invaluable assets of the history of humanity. So Chris Cummings um, has a fantastic background that touches, um, of course, technology, blockchain, um, but as well, uh, storytelling agencies, like uh, he was the founder and CEO of Pass It Down, which is still involved, and as well, uh, an attorney, which uh, was working with the federal public defender um, until 2016, uh, in Louisiana area in the US. And as well, uh, he was previously the CEO of Swift Wing Ventures, so a venture capital firm uh, located in Tennessee. I think it's probably one of my first interviews with Tennessee, which is an area that I always wanted to go, but I never went. I've been in the US a lot of times, but not in Tennessee. It, so, it, is, Chris, uh, it is never too late. Uh, definitely, yeah. Welcome to our series, Chris. Wonderful to have you here, first of all. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So Chris, you have quite an out-of-the-box uh, profile because you start uh, uh, with the law, then uh, going to, you have actually a fantastic profile. I only touch the tip of the iceberg because you have so much different things from, uh, from a legal uh, substantial background, which was probably your first uh, part of your career, and then shifting to VC world, to entrepreneurship and uh, venture capital. And then from that to becoming leading as well, uh, both agencies and things that are much more out of sight of the box of probably the legal sure. footprint. So can you tell us a bit of that background and uh, a bit of your history or personal history? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of blame my uh, my parents for my pathway, so to speak. My, um, my mom, Barbara, uh, was an artist. Her grandmother was an artist. I grew up in a art household or from a, some of my earliest memories or my hands on a clay wheel uh, and going to art classes with my mom. And then my dad was an entrepreneur. And on my dad's side, my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandfather had been an entrepreneur. My uncle's an entrepreneur uh, in terms of running, you know, kind of a family founded business. So, you know, I was lucky to kind of grow up in these two worlds that don't typically uh, juxtapose on top of one another between art and entrepreneurship. 
Um, and so, you know, for me, I was able to love both worlds and be able to swim easily in both worlds. Um, but, you know, I saw my dad found multiple technology companies growing up and had an experience of really seeing tech companies grow and scale and was lucky enough to be able to co-found a tech company with him before I went to law school, actually. So I kind of went from like entrepreneur to, to law school, which had always been on my bucket list and, um, and kind of got roped back into technology. Oh, that's impressive. And that's actually beautiful as well. The, the story between you, you and your father. So, so I think going to that, that uh, history of, and the first experience with entrepreneurship um, so can you tell us, because of course you have a very strong uh, uh, legal uh, as a defender and as well as a public defender, which is actually a very high profile legal career. Um, but can you tell us how did you, uh, besides your father, how did you get into this world of blockchain, the world of NFTs, the world of VCs and entrepreneurship and technology, which is, I think everything right now is about technology, let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I was exposed to entrepreneurship at a very young age. My, uh, my grandfather founded a bank in a, a tiny little country town that grew into 20 or so plus banks. Um, so I had an experience of seeing what it was like to kind of like build your own business. And that always kind of excited me with the idea that you, you could build something to and build something to solve a problem that you saw. Um, you know, so for me, you know, my pathway into uh, where we are today with Iconic, because with Iconic, we're building the first NFT marketplace exclusively for museums uh, and, and historical and cultural brands. Really, that was um, based around my background in building digital storytelling solutions, which is something I've been doing for over seven years. And, you know, I first got into building digital storytelling solutions, believe it or not, not for museums, not for big brands, but for families. Uh, and I wanted to do that because I saw my mom, uh, unfortunately, develop early onset dementia at 43, uh, and she had MS. And so the original vision for Pass It Down, winding back seven years, was a, was a digital storytelling platform for families. And then what's interesting is as we were building that, we all of a sudden started to have uh, museums and big brands like Coca-Cola and others say, we need help telling our story, too, and sharing our history, too. So it was not a, um, a planned uh, pathway to say, I want to go build solutions for cultural heritage. Uh, you know, we really was kind of roped into that area. Uh, but, you know, once I did, you know, I fell in love with the industry. Oh, that's, that's an impressive. So, so let, let's go through the, the, the agency of storytelling, because you just mentioned Coca-Cola and the CEOs, and I'm sorry about your mother. I'm, I imagine what is growing with something like that is, is really hardcore. And, and uh, I really appreciate uh, the patience. I think for people listening to us, probably most of people don't understand how, how difficult in a lot of ways it is. So I respect that a lot. So, so going to your story, how do you create the agency? And, and as well, shifting from a lawyer to become an agency about storytelling. And as well, I think when people in this conference and especially on this uh, podcast, one of the things I try to do is dismantle and try to go to the root of the things. And storytelling yeah. is still more important than ever, especially as a shift from pure storytelling to digital storytelling. And yep. even NFTs and all these things that we're going to be talking are all about storytelling and communities and the way we, we get the engagement of the community. If you can you tell us about that agency, how did you start and as well yep. your VC engagement on that? Yeah, 100%. So yeah, so I got out of law school in 2013, you know, I had a chance to go clerk for, you know, everyone from Chief Justice Johnson at my state Supreme Court doing death penalty cases 
to, um, to a couple of really great trial judges. And I started doing federal trials and appeals really young, like 26. Um, and I, and I loved it. It was kind of like complex constitutional law and, uh, and it was incredible, you know, experience at such a young age. Um, I'll, I'll admit that a part of what was hard those, you know, I think part of the reason people my age typically don't get those jobs is that like every case is really emotionally difficult, right? Like every case is a very sad story with a horrible set of facts. And I remember thinking at the time that, you know, I, this is something I would want to come back to later in my life, but I, I didn't feel like it was where I needed to be at that moment. So um, I had another offer because of my experience in technology to go run a venture capital fund in Tennessee um, called Swiftwing. And so, you know, the best part of being a venture capitalist is your exposure to all these very passionate entrepreneurs that all have ideas and businesses in areas of the world you've never seen, right? And you get every day to learn about something new. It was really fun. I was like, you know, I think I'm going to hop back into, into, the, into the venture land. So, you know, hopped back into that and it was a couple of months in when I realized I still had that bug to build companies and that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, it was, you know, several months into that whenever I kind of gave notice that, hey, I'm going to go back into building my companies. And, um, and so I was really stuck on this idea of building, you know, a digital storytelling solution. Um, you know, kind of as you said, storytelling is more important now than ever. What I would say is that storytelling is and will always be the most powerful way to communicate an idea into the world. Storytelling is our original form of communication. We told stories before we could write. Uh, it is literally kind of hardwired into our bodies to receive stories better than any other form of information. And, and too often when people describe storytelling, it becomes like a marketing buzzword. Every brand needs to tell a story. We don't actually build solutions to be able to do those things. And so we really kind of set out to instead really build a practical, you know, digital, uh, like a digital design platform that would enable, you know, anyone to be able to create and tell those stories. And it was amazing just the amount of interest we generated so quickly. Again, from Coca-Cola reaching out saying their number one need was corporate storytelling to Porsche uh, for their experience centers uh, around the world and bringing to life Porsche's history and stories to you know, some of the world's most amazing cultural institutions. You know, we've worked now with well over you know, hundreds of cultural institutions across a variety of different countries. And what's so interesting with museums, uh, particularly when it comes to stories, is that museums and these brands as well have these incredible archives. And archives are kind of this forgotten treasure trove of, of story and IP. It's typically put in the basement or the attic, and uh, it can contain, you know, sometimes 40, 50 million artifacts of content. But far too often, you know, people never get the chance to actually experience these stories or have a chance to interact with them because there's so much of this content. And so we were really passionate really early about this idea of building out and utilizing these archives and collections and bringing them to life in the world. And that's really kind of what made us so excited about Web3. It was an opportunity to really help bring this antiquated industry into the future. And, you know, there's lots of crazy ideas about the metaverse, but I think anyone can really connect with the idea of building a digital museum in the metaverse that brings to life all these collections in a, in a very immersive way. And that is really exciting. And I think it's, uh, I think it's going forward, there's going to be, I think for me, it's more important even than all the VR craziness around metas and so forth. But let's go first to, so from this storytelling, 
So you create the agency of storytelling, you were as well on the VC, and then you decided to create Iconic. So tell us about the inception of Iconic and as well, um, what is it for people that never heard, because a lot of people probably didn't hear and you other guys are still in the beginning. And as well, how do you work? And as well, uh, uh, the narrative, uh, how you put the NFTs, how you put the museums, how you put all these, like I said, historical institutions that are critical. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, you know, as we started to work with museums back in 2015, 2016, you know, it took several years to get to, to know and understand the quirks of the industry. Every industry has their quirks. And one of the things we quickly saw within the museum industry, you know, with Pass It Down is that the economic model and funding model for museums is pretty antiquated. You know, most museums uh, make money really in just three ways uh, if they're not government supported. And on average, only 7% of museums are government supported, which, which is shocking to most people. Um, most museums make money through ticket sales, event rentals, and then annual galas, where they get high net worth individuals to show up once, twice a year, write a big check. And so the problem is that every year, uh, museums have had less and less money, and it's become a huge issue in terms of these museums being to be sustainable. This is why I would say this industry is pretty antiquated. They never really figured out how to make money online, how to engage online. So you take that fact, right? And then you add COVID in, and 93% of museums around the world closed at the exact same time. And all of a sudden the National Museum Association and others started raising this red flag. And that red flag said that at the start of the pandemic, 15% of museums around the world would close forever. Then that number got to 20%. And then all of a sudden COVID stretched on, you know, into last year, that number reached 36% of museums worldwide could close permanently and well, never open again. And so for us, you know, it was really one looking at how broken this model had been long before COVID and seeing COVID throw gas on a fire. And for us, we looked at it and said, you know, we need to create a new economic model for this industry. One that is a digital first model, one that's built on driving revenue digitally, one that's built on engaging patrons digitally. There are people all around the world that will never physically be able to travel to a particular museum. But they would buy a digital ticket if they could, and they would engage digitally if you gave them the opportunity. And so really, you know, for us, that's when we started to set out and to go after building Iconic is that Iconic's mission was really around this notion of creating a new model for an entire industry that desperately needed it and still does. And so today, um, Iconic is a vertical specific solution focused on showcasing, uh, you know, digital collectibles from the world's top cultural institutions and cultural brands. Um, you know, some of the things that really inspired us to build it, because, uh, you know, it's always a good question, should you build it? Should you just use what's already out there, like OpenSea and Rarible and others? Is that you really can't tell stories on any of the other platforms. If you go to OpenSea, sure, you could upload a Monet or a Picasso, but it's one of 47 million NFTs next to a dancing unicorn and a trading card. There's literally no curation, right? Uh, I always call OpenSea's... Uh, filtering like Walmart on Black Friday. It's nuts, right? You can technically find everything, but it's not going to be a great experience while doing so. And you might have to hit a guy. Um, and the other part is, you know, the product pages. When you look at the NFTs in most platforms, you see a JPEG, you see a buy button, maybe some transaction history. That's it. You don't see the story behind the NFT. You don't see the story behind the artist or the institution. You definitely don't see anywhere describing the social impact that can come from its purchase. 
And so for us, we, we saw the opportunity and excitement within Web3, but we didn't see any technology to do it the way that we knew that that was important for this industry. And that's when we decided to go after building our own marketplace. Oh, that's, that's impressive. So tell us, you build the marketplace. So how are you taking it to market? And um, you mentioned the storytelling, you mentioned the exclusivity as well, the, the experience, because I think that's the key thing. But of course, um, I'm a, quite a gig for museums. Actually, I was involved in a platform for museums. Actually, a great name, Museonics, um, that it was in the past. Yeah, it's awesome. But I love yourself because Iconic, it's much more broader. So so one thing that I will, and I, I understood as well, because you have UNESCO, you have all these things, and I've been as well working in the United Nations. So how do you put the museums and how you create the business models? Because it, it's not, I know that US is a market in itself. There's a lot of markets around the world. How do you project these things? Because I think that's a key element uh, for the success of a platform like yours, which I think we need. Because in the other day, OpenSea does a great work, but 70% of NFTs have a lot of challenges there, to say less. But that is part of a growth that a market that is quite sure. new as well. So, yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's it, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're lucky, you know, since we announced Iconic, believe it or not, we, um, we've had outreach from close to 140 museums and cultural institutions across 13 countries. So we saw an immediate interest in cultural institutions wanting to engage in Web3. Um, and so we're working today on launching with uh, about 25 different institutions. We won't launch them all at once. What we're, our model is going to be is releasing digital collectibles, uh, you know, once every two weeks from the vault of one of the world's top cultural institutions. Um, we're taking that model that cultural institutions have adopted in the physical world of doing physical lithographs or limited edition prints of items within their collection that function as a fundraising tool. And we're extending that digitally, meaning we're definitely not selling original ownership of anything in the museum. That would pose some big, serious problems. Um, but what we are doing is we are tying uh, tickets and membership and a variety of experiences to the NFT to function as its utility mechanism, right? Like most NFT projects are purely digital. They don't have any brick and mortar locations to connect with. They don't have a community that's built. For us, when you look at museums, they're built on this idea of patrons uh, and they do have incredible locations. And so for us, we have a ton of utility to work with uh, in terms of being able to blend the physical and the digital worlds together and to be able to build some very compelling experiences connected to these things. So when it comes to go to market, right, um, I think what's interesting is being able to take sort of uh, both the traditional marketing channels and museums have and then integrate that with Web3 specific marketing channels like Discord and Twitter and others. Um, another thing that's super interesting for us in a go-to-market is that there's a huge opportunity for major brands to collaborate with museums. And collaboration has been such a huge component behind NFT drops across the board. And, and we, we're a big proponent of it. Um, you know, uh, these brands, these museums that we have often are representing, you know, some of the most interesting themes in the world that big brands are building businesses in today. And so for us, our go-to-market includes not just traditional marketing and kind of your Web3 marketing through Discord and Twitter and other channels, but big brand collaborations that have specifically themed drops that can also utilize those brand social, social channels as well. Well, that's very impressive. And I think it's really, uh, I think as the, the industry matures and now you take this forward, this will bring a lot of other opportunities. And I like the idea as well that 
we can collaborate with quality because I think that's one of the challenges, like you said, in the creating of the biggest special NFT platforms. So, so yeah, can on, you tell on, us? On, yeah, on, on that, by the way, you know, I, I do think that one thing we hear all the time that's important to note, and this is not a criticism of, of where NFTs have been today. It's just a, a reality of what it means from the larger picture. Most everyday consumers have no idea what somebody would buy one of 10,000 crypto punks or whales or 10,000 penguins, right? They look at generative projects and PFP projects and sort of the majority of where digital art has been within Web3 and NFTs and they go, I don't get it. And, um, and you know, that's fine, but what it does do is that unless we have other projects that reach to other audiences, right? We are limiting the ability for Web3 to grow because everyday people are kind of turn, like turned off or just not going to be your, your consumer. So I think one thing we find interesting is this notion that we hear all the time, oh, wow, this is the first time I've ever, like, I've ever wanted to buy an NFT. How do I do this? Um, it's, it's just reaching a segment of people that maybe want to participate, but haven't found a way or found a way to connect with where kind of the artwork has been so far, which again, not a criticism of the artwork, just kind of a reflection and a reality of where most of these NFT projects are and people talk about. And I do think that that has implications within the media, right? Like a lot, there's a lot of negative media around NFTs uh, that is undeserved, uh, but it's a reality. And I think that we have to shift uh, the conversation to really show the potential of the technology that exists today. And I think it's really important for the blockchain industry as a whole. Yeah, and I think that is one of the key elements that we need to create uh, credibility around the industry. And I spoke for my, speak for myself as well as one of the people that yeah. is pushing this forward. So, so let, let's go through one of the things that I think it's a key element for people listening to us. So I have been interviewing very high-profile personalities. There's MetaQuery that is doing NFTs for people like Mike Tyson and others. And one of the things I realized is really, you mentioned the storytelling, but it's about the community as well. And uh, so you have the biggest museums, all these museums have massive databases and you have as well, of course, one very concrete product because the difference between you and most of the NFTs is that you are actually talking with uh, the key elements. In the end of the day, a museum is a museum. Anything you buy from a museum, if it's certified, then of course, this is the value goes to a completely different level. So tell us how you've been taking this forward, how you're working on this building, this community and as well, how you take it this worldwide because I know that for now, you guys are more focused on the US, but I'm sure that you have plans for global domination in a good way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is that, you know, in the first six months, actually, we saw more demand internationally than we saw from the US in terms of interest. And uh, we've been really amazed at the uh, willingness for a lot of cultural institutions globally to kind of lead the charge in experimenting. Um, yeah, so I mean, you're right, right? Like museums do have databases of patrons and followers and social followings and all those good things. Um, I think that if the, you know, if that cultural institution is in a major metro, so let's say that that cultural institution is in London, let's say they're in New York, they're in Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, Barcelona, you know, you know, a major city worldwide, there's more likelihood that the patrons they already have are going to be connected or know what crypto is. Point being said, right, if we're talking about a smaller cultural institution, our belief is that, you know, for right now, it's going to be very difficult to be able to bring that traditional museum patron audience and to participate because the learning, high, learning curve to engage in Web3 is pretty high. 
Um, it'll get easier, right? That's what we're talking about, like how do we see mainstream adoption? It'll, you know, as the technology gets easier, as UI UX gets easier, as wallets become easier, we'll start to see more and more people funnel in. But in the meantime, um, you know, I think when it comes to building an audience that's pretty passionate in Web3, you one, have to have a clear product that has clear utility too. But three, you have to build a community that, uh, that is pretty connected within the Web3 world already. That's what I would argue. And so for us, we are looking at really introducing museums to new audiences worldwide that know about that museum, but they've never really connected before. And so, you know, when we are rolling out a campaign for a cultural institution, you know, that's going to be a six week campaign. And part of what's fun, right, is in terms of how we build a relationship with our buyers, it's through storytelling, right? A part of that campaign is going to, for example, be multiple Twitter spaces where we are interviewing a museum director or a museum curator. And the job of the director and the curator is, you know, tell us about the museum. When was it created? Why was it created? What is the mission of the museum? What, you know, uh, what is the work that your museum does today to engage its community? Um, tell us about these particular pieces from the museum. You know, when was this acquired by the museum? Uh, why should someone care? Um, you know, I'll, I'll be frank, right? Like most Twitter spaces are in, in Web3 are pretty terrible. They're just shilling products <laughs> over and over and yeah. over in a pretty ridiculous fashion. And I, you know, I think for us, one of the things we're most excited about is paving the experience of what a Twitter space should be, right? Through storytelling, through education. And because the best way to sell is never to beat someone over the head and tell them to buy. The best way to sell is just to literally get them to care about the thing that you are, that they have an opportunity to collect. And people love to collect and daily people have always collected, right? There are, there are collectibles you can look at for the last 500 years. People always want to collect. Uh, you just have to build the relationship with that audience. And, you know, that's just one example of some of the activities that we're going to be doing, um, which is just really kind of taking that same curator experience you would have walking through a museum and hearing the stories and the knowledge and bringing that online digitally uh, through our campaigns. Yeah, I love what you're doing. And I think it's really important to this, this kind of component of education, but as well practicality, because I think, uh, like you said, the, most of these tools uh, are used for, I would say, a lot of garbage. But there's a lot of, uh, like you just said, but I think it's much more the cool stuff and actually the great things we can do. And they can actually make a big difference as well using these oh. tools. But it, it's not an easy thing. So, so I want to touch one thing that, you, that is key here. So the NFTs. Okay, so at the end of the day, NFTs right now, Okay, if you resell it, they partly become a security, but now let's not go to technical. I'm sure most of our audience doesn't understand these things. But let's say, how do you do right now to guarantee this flow of the NFTs that you're selling and the community that you're building? Because, for instance, most of the success, uh, like you mentioned, uh, from the, the ad club to the, a lot of all these campaigns and, and, uh, and some of these presses that become billion dollars, don't even actually offer any value close to what you guys are offering. So sure. can you just tell us how do you do right now with this part of putting the NFT as a really a tool that can actually, uh, first of all, power the audience of the museums, which is, of course, one of the most important things in our history uh, and as well in our culture uh, in the Western world, but as well all over the world. I think even uh, it's one of the me, things. The US yeah. is so young compared to the rest of the world. Let's be honest, the world's best <laughs> We are so young, like the rest of the world is, is, is so important to what we're doing here. Yeah, completely. 
So, so tell us how, how are you dealing with the, with the complexity of, first of all, making sure these NFTs are different and as well protected and so forth, but as well as some of the regulatory part that you're working and some of the things I'm sure that you are uh, scaling, especially bear in mind that you're dealing with very big institutions that are very, in some cases, actually massive as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these institutions are bigger than a lot of enterprise brands. And uh, some of these institutions we work with have boards that have over 50 people on them, 80 people on them, uh, believe it or not. And that can be very complex to navigate. You know, I, I think that, you know, when we look at, I'll start with the problems within Web3, right, and, and how we're very different. I think there have been a lot of single projects that said, hey, I'm going to release a 10,000 set of X. Uh, it's purely digital, right? So the there's no pre-built community, there's no brick and mortar, there's no you know any experience they create they have to create from the ether. It's completely new, and unfortunately, right, we've seen both there be a, a hard time in creating like a long-term roadmap there that makes sense. There's been a hard time creating real utility, and often these projects are you sell out and then you go, what next? And a lot of times people go, I got nothing, right? Like I made my money, this is kind of it. Um, and unfortunately there've also been like a lot of rug pulls, right? That's part of the, the, the reality that's happened within Web3. I think part of what's unique for us is that we are aggregating all of these cultural institutions together into one space. You know, Ben Thompson talks a lot about the, the value of aggregation theory, right? If you can take very, very fractured markets where the cost for each participant to engage on a one-on-one -on -one basis is very high and you can bring them all together into one space, you can focus on building you know, one hell of a customer experience. And then you can create a lot of real value uh, across the board. So I think part of what makes us unique is that a part of our utility can be to create almost like a global passport between museums and cultural institutions. Imagine buying an NFT from one of our clients, like the Universal Hip Hop Museum that's in New York. And then that could unlock an experience for you at another museum, music museum around the world or vice versa. Individually, this wouldn't be possible, but because they're all, we're bringing these institutions together to be able to collaborate and to really create a space for museums to engage in Web3, we can create really, really unique value that isn't possible anywhere else in the world. Um, I think we also, in terms of making sure we maintain our value, uh, you know, one, have a responsibility to always maintain the quality of our work. We never want to flood the market. We, so we care a lot about uh, quality over quantity when it comes to when we release NFTs, how we release NFTs. Um, and, you know, not every release is going to be the same, right? We're not going to release 5,000 editions for every institution. For some institutions, it might be doing a release of only 100. Uh, and then other, it might be 10,000. It just depends, right? And that, that's done through a variable of factors of us analyzing both, you know, the, the, the buyers and also what that institution's following is or size is um, across the board. But I think that for us, we're fortunate. There's so much real utility that we can create that other Web3 can't, companies can't tap into. Um, and as long as we hold true to that, we'll be in a good position. And congratulations. That is quite impressive. So, so let me ask a couple of questions related with, uh, with uh, right now from the NFT part to the metaverse. Um, so one of the things, like you mentioned, is that... Uh, at the moment, there's multiple iterations of metaverse. Um, there's the more cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
there's the meta, there's the cartoonish, which are the mainstream ones, let's put it that way. If you look at Roblox, probably is the biggest metaverse in the world. Um, yeah. And then you have Sandbox and the Central Land that actually are going very much into a bit of a, a more kind of a cyberpunk context. Um, and of course, they have fantastic things, other things you might like or dislike, but really does a great work. But the, the numbers are still very small. And of course, when it comes to VR, the official numbers right now, there are different numbers, but it's around 10 million people. And we might go to 2030 to around uh, 50 something or 60 million people, which is still very small. But in the end of the day, the AR is already mainstream and the web 3.0 is mainstream as well. So how do you, are you right now in the platform highlighting, and you mentioned the community, you mentioned this kind of idea of putting the people together. Are you highlighting as well metaverse experiences for these museums, uh, rooms, virtual? You can actually see the. There's already a couple of platforms uh, that are working in these bridges. <laughs> I'm working as well in some of these technologies, so I'm quite curious to see how you do this because I think definitely the museums are the most important thing, and and there's a lot of iconic stuff that you can actually do on that direction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, to your point at the start, right? Like there is a war being fought to build the metaverse right now, which also defeats the point. There isn't supposed to be like one company, like the metaverse is supposed to be a place where all of kind of uh, digital communities can interweave and connect together, but there isn't real good, there isn't like real layering between these solutions. And that war is gonna be fought over the next 10 years, you know, uh, between Facebook meta, Apple, uh, who's working on a wearable headset, uh, Epic, who's even said in kind of their, their, their lawsuit with Apple that Fortnite really is the start of a metaverse. Um, sand, sandbox, the central land, uh, Roblox, I mean, you name it, right? That war is going to be waged over the next 10 years. And I think what's hard, right, is like, that's not a war that we or most Web3 companies want to fight. And so you're kind of in this little bit of a catch-22 of wondering, do I try to invest in one of these and hope they win? Do I invest in, you know, two, three options? Do I sit and I wait? You know, for us, we think that digital museums in the metaverse is the best way to probably onboard anyone in the world into the metaverse, right? Just because it makes sense. Um, you know, on average, only 2% of a museum's collections publicly visible because museums have physical constraints and footprints. Imagine building a digital museum where you have, has no physical constraints, where you can literally explore the entire world of that museum's collection there. Instead of a, a virtual tour, which I hate because they're imitations of physical spaces, uh, instead of you, you know, clicking a photo on the wall in a World War II museum, for example, imagine if a World War II plane could fly overhead, right? It can really change the way that we engage and showcase our history and our culture. So for us right now, we are partnering with multiple companies that are building metaverse type experiences, um, but we, we, we don't feel the need to try to build our own right now, just because we, we want, we feel like there's going to be so many more spot in that space, but we know that that is a part of our journey. Uh, we just don't know when it'll, when is the right time. Um, you know, to something you said earlier too, like we have the early roots of this technology, but um, but it's, it still is going to be one where we need the technology to be a little bit faster than is possible, particularly on the rendering front and the ability to log on and interact needs to be a bit easier, right? We, uh, wallets today are pretty cumbersome still. I think once we can really hide what's going on behind the scenes with the technology, you'll start to see mainstream adoption. 
Uh, I'm completely with you, and I think that's the challenge and the opportunity. So you have uh, quite impressive numbers. Uh, you are right now working with 450,000 museums, which is not oh, a no, small no. number. Let, let, let me be clear. Uh, We're not working 450,000 museums. Oh, okay. There, so you there are, are planning. Okay. There are 450,000 museums and archives around the world. We're, uh, we're probably more. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's include a bunch. We're we're lucky to be chatting with, uh, you know, we're essentially deep in talks or partnered with roughly about 150 institutions. Okay, which is quite impressive as well. Okay, but I'm sure you can get for another 50,000, and I wish you luck for that. So, so let's look right now in terms of the way you're building the platform, because I think this is kind of one of the things that uh, I'm very interested as well, because I think it's like you said, actually, my new book is precisely Metaverse NFTs Uprising. And one of the things that uh, that I'm particularly interested in is, is focus on projects that create value. We have enough yeah. speculation and enough craziness around this. So for instance, and as well, if you look at the museums, for instance, we have, for instance, from the collectives that each time you go to a museum, you can buy a piece of jewelry, you can, you can buy some kind of uh, normal, each museum has their own collectives and a lot of actually, in some cases, actually fantastic deals. Um, are you building a part of uh, uh, as well, not just the virtual NFTs, but as well real uh, products? Are you trying to do a bit of e-commerce around the museums? How do you want to take this forward? Because that's, I think, the, the multi-billion dollars business here is if someone nailed this right, it can actually make a big difference for the art world because this is a big challenge. The institutional yeah. world is struggling. You know, it's interesting is, you know, there there is a component to us of being able to connect in the idea of receiving some type of a physical edition of, of a digital edition that you buy in some way. I don't think that merging kind of all of the e-commerce in of a normal museum gift shop into a Web3 experience where you blend the two things works yet, right? Because again, you've got um, potential consumer confusion between how to engage in Web3. But I do think that that's where we'll be just probably in the next five years uh, across the board. But what I do think, you know, going back to like the first thing you said on social impact, is that something we're really passionate about, something we can really highlight here, right? Is, you know, there are some incredible Web2 companies that have built uh, entire, you know, e-commerce marketplaces and platforms really highlighting the social impact that's made possible through purchases. And that's not something we've really seen done well in Web3. And so for us, when we work with a museum or a cultural institution, a part of us mapping out that campaign is for that institution to specifically highlight, you know, what will be made possible through this purchase? Will this purchase enable new digitization of, uh, you know, very rare, important cultural photos or assets? Will it allow that museum to be able to do some type of a new exhibition? Uh, will it enable that museum to be able to go into a neighborhood, to be able to do an activity within that neighborhood to spread education, right? Like we do need to get past speculation and we do need to focus on tapping into other consumer behaviors that really highlight and do positive work in the world. Um, but you got to work, you got to do the work to do it. You can't just like stick a, you know, I think sometimes people throw the word out there, but they're not actually doing the work, right? It's just kind of a, a buzzword that they're trying to co-opt in some way. Um, and, and, and I think that defeats the point as well. So, I mean, I think for us, that's a component of how we plan each campaign is really walking each institution through and saying, we need you guys really to, to drill down for us and let us know specifically what, you know, what will this enable? And, um, and so sometimes the things you can do is you can also tie utility into what it enables. If you're purchasing this NFT from this campaign and it creates this new exhibition, 
you'll get a ticket to its premiere, right? And so you'll have a chance to have that interaction and, and show that like you actually helped create this through your purchase. It wasn't possible without you. Um, so I think that's a, a component of our of our work and just something we're passionate in general. Um, you know, the Web2 world, I'm a huge fan of the work of like Omaze. I think they've done an incredible work in doing a way of raising money for a variety of charities and causes through storytelling and kind of the raffling system. I think uh, Rally Road has done a really good job of storytelling around physical collectibles. Um, so, you know, there are some really good companies that have set these models out before, and I think they're really good models to follow. Oh, fantastic. So, so, so in terms of, uh, so for people that don't know much about you guys and that are looking or interested to engage, so what would be the first thing that you would present and you would say for us to go, because I know that you are in the beginning and you're starting yeah. the project, because I think at the end of the day is how we can actually take this and make it a success because in the other day i i wish you guys to be very successful because i think it will be great for everyone um but as well as necessary i think there are things which sometimes we forget how important these things are so i would like to hear how you're taking this forward and how you're going to make it to the to make it happen in terms of like uh, who are we starting with or what will it look like yeah how are you taking it forward in terms of business in terms of funding in terms of uh, roadmap and how people can actually get engaged because I, I know that in the platform right now you can subscribe but you cannot still buy the nfts uh, just yep. a bit of a roadmap that you yeah 100 yeah so i mean we've kind of been deep at work for for the last several months and uh, we're excited we'll be launching in august so uh we'll be launching with two of the most iconic cultural institutions in the States uh, in August. And I think they'll really kind of begin to lay out sort of our vision for what Web3 should be. Uh, these projects will be from, you know, some of the most important art in the world. It will be tied to social impact. Um, and it will be one that has some really interesting utility tied to it. Uh, you know, one will be based on a, on a brand new national monument being built here in, this, in the US that has some incredible uh, purpose behind that monument. And so for us, we care a lot about it. And the NFT campaign will actually enable you to help fund the creation of a national monument that will live on forever in the real world while also enabling really good stuff in the digital world. Um, but, you know, there's a lot that we're working on on, on the roadmap side. You know, for us, um, being able to create seamless purchase decisions with really intuitive UI UX uh, being able to continue to develop really kind of fantastic storytelling tool sets. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some interesting things around ticketing where we can drop tickets, not just into a crypto wallet, but actually drop them into an Apple wallet or an Android wallet, the same way you would have your credit card there. Um, you know, one big problem in the museum world that, you know, we are looking at solving, um, is there's a problem in the museum world called deaccessioning. And what deaccessioning is, is that when a museum is essentially running out of money, they break a covenant to sell a painting or an artifact that was donated to the museum off in the private market. It's like, hey, I need to go sell this Picasso to make 40 million. And it's really bad, right? It was donated to be in the museum forever for the public. And the museum is literally saying, yeah, I'm going to break that donation you gave me and I'm going to sell it off and no one in the world will ever see it again because it's going to go off in the private market. That should never happen. And yeah. so for us, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is could we utilize a DAO, right, to allow the community of patrons to be able to fractionalize ownership 
and this rare artifact or this painting. So these items never disappear from the public because they shouldn't. That's why it was donated. Um, so there's a, a lot of really interesting work uh, that we're doing behind the scenes. Um, but if you go to iconicmoments.co and sign up, uh, you know, uh, our first release will be going live in about a month and we're, we're excited and they all even working on. Oh, amazing. So, so I have a lot of more questions, but I think we'll stick for now, but I, I would like probably to do after you go live. Um, I want to thank you for this time. And I think, I don't know if there's anything that you want just to uh, last words where people can find them. We'll put all the links, uh, the website, sure. the, the Twitter, the Instagram, it will be here for people listening to us below the, 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 the YouTube or podcast, wherever you are listening to us here. Um, but I think it's really an amazing project and I, I recommend it personally because I, I want you guys to be very successful because it can make a big difference for the cultural world, which I'm very passionate. As well, I work with a lot of museums and, and I hope uh, that you guys can actually achieve it in the right direction. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And it's, you know, it's good to connect with someone that I think is also really, you know, actively talking about every day the promise of Web3. I mean, that's one of the reasons I was excited to be able to have a chance to, to come on your show is that, uh, you know, I fundamentally do believe in the technology behind it, but we have to really change the way that we talk about Web3. We, and we have to do it quickly uh, or else, you know, the promise behind the technology could be lost in, uh, in a variety of ways. And, and we don't want to lose the chance to do some really good changes uh, that, are, that are sitting here kind of like right on the cusp. Yeah, completely. And I think it's, uh, it's not an easy task. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that way, because it's kind of talking is easy. Doing is the difficult part. Well, congratulations. Good luck. Uh, you guys are in the yeah. final stage of the launch and uh, hopefully we can work together in a lot of different things. Thank you, you so too. much. Thanks. Cheers.